Photography in one form or another exerts a great influence on our daily lives. An illustrative photographer must be imaginative. I mean, that is the ultimate creative act, is like how you assemble your life, I guess. And it doesn't have to be weird, but it, you can still tweak it in all sorts of funny ways. I'm Jordan Weitzman, and you're listening to Magic Hour, my chance to talk with photographers and people involved in the medium. We learn about their backgrounds, thought processes, and ideas that have shaped their work. Ever since Alex Soth put out his first book, Sleeping by the Mississippi, in 2004, he's had a prominent presence in the world of photography. At the time, he sent copies of the book to the photographers and curators he most admired. One copy landed on the desk of the curator for the Whitney Biennial, who selected his work for the exhibition. That show sparked a meteoric rise for him in the photo and art world, and since then, he's not slowed down a bit. He's the author of eight photo books, including Broken Manual, Songbook, and most recently a collection of his work called Gathered Leaves. Through Little Brown Mushroom, the homegrown imprint that he founded, he's also a publisher. He teaches as well, both at the graduate level with a post at the MFA program at Hartford University, and through his own educational initiative, the Winnebago Workshop. I've spent so much time with Alex's work, his photographic work, but also his writing. For anyone getting into photography, his archive blog is a treasure trove. I was both nervous and excited to go meet him and had many questions ready for him. But when I got to his studio, located in a small complex in St. Paul, Minnesota, and we sat down to have this conversation, he told me that something had recently happened to him that completely changed how he was thinking about both life and his work. I was in Helsinki. I went for a walk. I meditated and it sounds super corny, but I had like a spiritual, you know, like transformation or whatever. I mean, really like it was a big thing. So big that I thought, wow, this changes everything. In that one instant. I mean, basically I felt, I'm just, I'm trying not to say the words at one, <laughs> you know, cause it's so cliche, but I felt connected to everything. And my work is all about disconnection and separation. So this experience was the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sort of disproved a lot of my thinking about a lot of things. And I had a lecture the next day. So I stayed up like that night redoing my entire lecture because I couldn't just talk about all the things that I normally talk about in all the norm- normal ways. Mm-hmm. So I had to sort of say, this thing happened and I'm rethinking everything. And ever since, I've been rethinking everything. And it's continues, so I'm still in that state. You know, I just have my worldview. You know, I have my existing worldview, and that's a little bit upside down now. I mean, mm-hmm. beliefs outside of photography change, but within photography, I mean, I've written about how corny and ill-conceived the idea of, like, Zen photography is. I remember years ago seeing this book in, like, a Barnes & Noble or whatever, Zen photography. And and I just thought photography is the most anti-Zen activity. And now look at me, like now I'm interested in doing that. Uh, I'm pretty relaxed at the moment. So is that part of the transformation is just more is. Ha- just about how you feel? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm just way more relaxed. I'm not really concerned if my photographic work is, you know, important or successful or whatever. 
which was a big concern prior. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. After you got your first pang of it, I guess that was with Sleeping by the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. You got a show at the Whitney. I mean, that's a pretty huge thing. Mm-hmm. Was that longing for success per se very present? And is that part of the shift? Oh, that's tricky. Uh, I didn't believe that success was possible in any short term. But I did have this sort of, and it's a little embarrassing to talk about it, but this like, you know, when I die, like I want to leave a mark kind of thing. You um, did have that. I did have that. So this is on my mind right now because so over this last weekend, I had this conversation with my daughter and I, I talked about this conversation that I once had with my mother when I was a teenager. And my mother asked, what do I want in my life? And I said, it's not to be happy. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, it's, uh, you know, it's something like I want to do something great. So I had that kind of ambition. And incidentally, my daughter thought that was the most preposterous thing she'd ever heard. Like, it wasn't to be happy. That's crazy. And in this new phase that I'm in, I think it's crazy. Like, why wouldn't I want to be happy? And like, to leave a mark? I mean, it's like, how inconsequential is it? You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, I mean, unless you're like Martin Luther King Jr. or something, it doesn't add up to that much. Like, enjoy your life, be happy. Um, yeah. You know, when I was totally unacknowledged, you know, it, and living here in Minnesota and doing, you know, a full-time job and um, doing photography on the weekends or whatever, it, that wasn't the most magical moment. The magical moment was actually making Sleeping by the Mississippi before it was received, just because I had saved up enough money, so I had time, and it was my first time really traveling and working, and it was just, it was really intoxicating, and I was so immersed in it, and getting back to that uh, is something, and also getting back to that feeling when I first discovered art, too. Mm -hmm. There wasn't the concept that I was going to, like, pursue this in a serious way. I was just discovering something. Then you meet all the frustrations of whatever given medium. I mean, originally it was painting and I met the frustrations and it, and it felt like, uh, it wasn't authentic to me and the photography felt more, I felt more connected to, but then, yeah, you just struggle with not being as good as you want to be. What was it about that first trip in making Sleeping by the Mississippi that was so intoxicating? So... I mean, I'm just, I'm just going to like sound like a new age bozo on this thing. And, <laughs> but I, I'm just in the mood to like share the real thing. I, and I've talked about this a little bit, but, um, but I had raised, you know, so I'd raised this money to go on this trip for three months and I've been able to like get off my job for that period of time. And so it was a big deal. But at that very moment, my mother-in-law, who was very close to who I lived with, and so she died. Uh, she was in the process of dying and died. And it ate into half that time. Um, mm-hmm. And there was a question I was waiting to leave uh, on this trip until, like, it was appropriate to leave, I guess. And having been through that experience really shaped the trip. Um I mean, I could be corny about it and talk about, you know, how I felt like guided by her or just practical about it and say, like, watching someone die makes knocking on someone's door not scary. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I just felt really courageous and I just felt totally free. And I also, you know, I just thought I can go wherever I want to go. I can drive wherever I want to drive. I mean, it's that classic, you know, sort of road trip feeling of being young and 
you know, and everything's wide open and you can do what you want to do and explore what you want to explore. And I also didn't have many obligations to fulfill for other people. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, so it just felt wide open and it was springtime and just great. I'm always interested in, I always feel that every photographer is after something different in their pictures. Do you remember what it was that you were after, like what you wanted I mean, I I had reached, I guess I had reached a certain maturity with my work that I wasn't, I wasn't after something super specific so that it wasn't like social commentary or to reveal my true self or something. It was like, I was, I was, you know, I was after going with the flow <laughs> in some ways. I was, I was like after the, the experience of like, riding the wave in some ways and just making interesting pictures exactly making interesting pictures and being okay with that but having them connect to each other but like trusting that they'll be connected to each other rather than forcing it there was a fluidity that i was after i guess and then as the work developed i you know i i became i i was i was interested in a certain kind of uh I guess, self-expression, you know, so if in Niagara, I, you know, I'm interested in love and longing and my own love and longing and those issues, then I was sort of after some kind of expression of that feeling through the outside world. Um, and I've done that in a number of projects, I guess. Mm. Uh, and I, you know, in some extent that that's the way it will always be, I think. Um, but I guess trying not to illustrate those ideas not knowing how you're going to illustrate those beforehand yeah and not in also entirely knowing what those issues are in the beginning so that in fact niagara i didn't totally i kind of knew it had something to do with that but i didn't know it was really about that i read this incredible article by the legendary editor and sound designer walter Murch. He started American Zoetrope with Francis Ford coppola and george lucas mm-hmm. and he he was a sound designer he worked in the godfather and uh, American Graffiti and, uh, you know, a slew of others. He quotes, I think, Milan Kundera, the poet, mm-hmm. and he quotes Robert Bresson. And both those quotes, I forget exactly what they were, but they had to do with not knowing exactly what you're going to do uh, beforehand. having Maybe having an idea, but then getting into something and not knowing exactly mm. what you're going to do. I think he also quoted Francis Ford Coppola saying that a director is like a circus master directing a circus that's being formed as, as it goes. Do you feel that way? Totally. Yeah. Totally. I think my work is best when I allow for that to happen. Um, but it does take, it does take a lot of experience too, to be able to handle it and to be able to see something in that situation. So one of the things I like that's been useful, I should say about assignment work is that I have to learn very quickly how to find a solution. But assignment work is dangerous because very often it's not about letting things happen. Very often you're supposed to go photograph a specific thing. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas for me, the art is so much about like finding that thing and letting it emerge. So, um, so there's been this you know development over time of like understanding that relationship of like needing the skills to be able to capture that thing that emerges, um, but also being loose enough to let it happen. So I recently, I mean, I was asked by a magazine 
if there was some place I wanted to go. And so it was a really wide open assignment. Mm-hmm. And I went there. But it's scary because it's, you know, you have to fulfill expectations. It's going in this publication soon. Yeah. They're spending all this money, all these resources. You have to do this thing. And in this particular case, there was an added component of this film that was being made alongside mm-hmm. it. And and that film needed a, a bit of a narrative arc. Mm-hmm. But I said to them, like, I can't tell you what the narrative arc is going to be because I need to let it emerge on its own. And and I, you know, I had the confidence that that would happen. But that's a scary thing, you know, to say, like, to know that in a 10-day period, you're going to a narrative arc that's not f- totally contrived. It's just going to emerge. Is there an excitement to that too? There or, is, yeah. It's, or is yeah. it just totally nerve-wracking? No, no. I mean, because I was in this right state of mind that I could like be open for it and see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what's, I think where it doesn't work is when you're all nervous about it and stressed out about it. Because uh, then you're so focused on your own anxiety that you're not looking for the thing that's out there. Mm-hmm. Does this ever happen to you where you, you might have all kinds of ideas in your head of something that you're looking for, that you're after, but then you go out, you get in your car, or you go and take a walk, and you find things that you never would have discovered? All the time. So one of the things that I've said in a million interviews that I've recent, recently realized is not true. I'll t- yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I would always say... That part of my creative process is I'm lying in bed, I close my eyes, I imagine a museum in my basement, mm-hmm. and it's locked, and I have the keys, and what are the pictures on the wall? And then go out and make those pictures. And that's true that I would do that process. However, I never made those pictures. Like, because those pictures don't exist. I I make the pictures that I discover along the way. Right. Um so I think that's, it's, it's really an inaccurate comment. Like you need something to, to get you out looking. Uh, and it's good to imagine something that you might be looking for to get you out the door. But what you find is always different. If it's any good, it's always different. Right. Is that where lists come into play? Yeah. Yeah. All that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Making lists is one tactic, but I'll tell you like a, a tactic that's just as good is like, Picking on Yelp where I have lunch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some random thing that just forces you to some place. Yeah. And that alone is a path. As long as it's not like you go to a city and, and you look at the you know, tour guide map and you go to the top 10 places, like that's not going to be a journey. But if you pick out like what's the you know cheapest place I can have a good lunch it probably is going to take you somewhere peculiar. Right. Um, you, you kind of just need a starting point to get out of the door. And then wherever that takes you, it takes you. Do you feel like you could find things wherever you go? I aspire to that. I don't think I have had that, but I aspire to it, yeah. Hmm. It reminds me of something that uh, John Gossage said. He's talked about his work in relation to Lewis Baltz's. And he's always talked about Lewis Baltz being the ultimate conceptualist. Mm-hmm. He has an idea... And then he basically, he knows how he wants to illustrate it. And then he goes out into the world and he illustrates it. Mm -hmm. Whereas he always feels that he may have an idea in the back of his head, but his pictures tell him what he doesn't know. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? (laughs) Yeah, you're kind of like picking a scab because um, (laughs) because I've collaborated with 
John Gossage in the past. We did this thing together in New Zealand. Yeah. The work that I did, I consider to be really unsuccessful. Mm -hmm. And um, John was very confident about his work. Mm -hmm. And it was part of this narrative ambition that I had, but also finding the narrative. But I was forcing the narrative, in fact. And he was, yeah, he was more right, and it's just annoying. Uh, <laughs> so I like that though. I kind of like the one picture to the to his mini. There's something nice about it. Yeah, yeah, but I. It didn't feel so successful to you. No, no, no. I no, I learned stuff and I applied it to the thing that I did after that. And um, but what's I mean, part of my big transformation in this moment is is getting away from narrative entirely. So, uh. I mean, I was on this campaign for narrative. Yeah. And uh, it's what I lectured about, but it's Little Brown Mushroom was sort of built on text and image and how do they work together. And I'm just, I'm not in that place at all right now. And I don't, yeah, I'm not interested in so much in storytelling. And, you know, if I, if I make a book, the next book, I can't imagine that, the the beginning or ending will matter. How do you feel about you know you going out into the world with intention mm. and not finding something? I think it's a sign of sort of immaturity <laughs> <laughs> uh, that there's always something to find mm. if you're just open for it. You know, sitting over there, this was not planned at all, but it, like is Eggleston's Democratic Forest. And that idea that there are things to be found everywhere is a very powerful idea, I think. Mm-hmm. Has making work always been a, a very a stressful thing? Has it been? Sure. Yeah? Super stressful. Super stressful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good stress, but I find it, I mean... It's not relaxing. No. No, no. I mean, that's why I was never a landscape photographer, because that's kind of relaxing and I get bored uh, and I needed the the angst of approaching people and having this awkward thing happen and there's and and then it's over and there's kind of a I sort of celebrate and like feel good about you know this uh, hmm. and there's there's kind of an endorphin rush from like oh I did it um, <laughs> and and I'm I'm really I'm actually trying to get away from that mentality mm. too interesting it is a good stress but it's like and there's always but, this sense of time pressure right the assistants make fun of me because i'm like <laughs> i flail my arms a lot and i'm like I, I i'm like making these kind of frantic hand gestures and i i do feel like there's like a stopwatch or something that's timing me yeah and part of it is it's a it, it comes from a technical thing too where it's like you know, in the past using a large format camera, there's always this feeling like they're going to move out of focus or I'm going to lose that thing. Right. Uh, so I'm just like super frantic to get it. Um, and I, you know, and I, I, I get that rush and I, it has its place, but, um, but I, I guess I'm, I am interested in sort of how landscape photographers work or a more relaxed mm. mode. Making pictures of people. Do you think it's possible to work more like that? Less, I don't know if, Deliberate is the right word, or less, or less results driven. I mean, so that right, maybe because I felt this way. So you know, I had this thing about Arbus where it's just like the power was undeniable, and and I responded to that of the photos of the photos. Yeah, yeah, and and I just needed it. Uh, I just like needed that power in my work, and so 
when I did Broken Manual, it started as a landscape project. The idea was I was like tired of these intense uh, interactions with people and I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to work in the woods and get away from things. Mm -hmm. Um, But I felt like the work was stale, you know, and it was boring essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And I needed to energize it. Uh, But I think in retrospect, I think that maybe that wasn't right, that I just needed, you know, to make a subtler kind of work, or I could have been open to a subtler kind of work. I just, as we're talking, I flashed on this image. It's a Robert Adams picture that I saw at the Chicago Art Institute, like 15 years ago. And it was just a landscape by some water and had this little can in the corner of the picture. Mm-hmm. And I just like... I devoured it. And if you're like ready to experience work in that way, it can be as powerful as the Arbus picture. Mm. You sort of, it's like, it's how the photographer or the person viewing the picture comes to that picture. Is a quietness about it? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Quietness. But I think that there was this, this internal pressure to kind of perform and to make, you know, powerful pictures. Do you ever think of photographers as introverted versus extroverted photographers? <laughs> uh, I do. I definitely do. Uh, I recently had this conversation with this uh, yogi, mm-hmm. and he was trying to teach a certain kind of meditation, and it was actually an extroverted form of meditation. I, and I said to him, "But what about introverted people? Like, because mm-hmm. uh, I found that when I practice this meditation alone." it was more satisfying. And I said, what about introverted people? And he said, all babies are born extroverted. Mm-hmm. And society, you know, society makes them introverted. I don't believe that, though. I, like, reflected on that. I just don't believe it. Uh, I mean, I, I, without having any scientific knowledge, like if you studied animals, I'm sure that they're, like, just introverted, that they're, you know, whatever mix of genes and this and that. Um mm-hmm. And so, yes, I'm an introverted person and I'm an introverted photographer. But what's interesting about it is introversion mixed with the outside world. Right. Yeah. As you're, um, you're talking, I'm thinking, I'm, I, I'm kind of trying to answer my own question and think about how I think of your work, whether it's more introverted or extroverted. And it's funny because the earlier work seems more introverted, whereas the newer work seems more you know, the flash, right. more moments. It has more of that extroverted kind of quality. No, and I think I've changed. Which is interesting. It's, it's, uh, there's mm-hmm. a complexity to that, which is Sure, and cool. I think yeah. it's also, I, I think there's a spectrum, you know. It's not one, and a, and a person is neither introverted nor extroverted. They fall on some spectrum, and, right. they, and they move along the spectrum. And I have definitely moved like, like crazy uh, and become much more social, yeah. Yeah, interesting just thinking of this it's it's slightly off topic but you just mentioned arbus Mm -hmm. and i keep on thinking of this incredible thing i I just did i did uh one of these with john gossage a little oh you did okay which was a great experience Uh uh-huh i don't know if he ever told you the story but it was about the time where um he asked diane arbus to go out and make pictures with her one day and she took him up to washington square park and he said they were walking through and they stumbled across a woman who she was interested in photographing. And Arbus approached the woman and 
he said he watched her keep her there for six rolls of film, and he said to himself, how the hell could she do that to keep this complete stranger there for six rolls of film for that long? Mm-hmm. And he said he realized in that moment, just watching the way that she interacted with her, that the way that she was able to do that was that Arbus gave the woman as much of her as she wanted in return. By the end of the interaction, the woman became interested in Arbus. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so, there was something so amazing and interesting in that. It's a f- great anecdote. And um, it is so much of the portraiture process is, um, I mean, I always, for myself, I describe it as like, uh, I see a person and, you, and so you scan them and you read them. And as you approach them, they are scanning you and reading you. And this is what we all do as animals, like reading things for threats or vulnerabilities or um, whether you're trying to or not, you're communicating something to them. And I've had this awareness over time that what I'm communicating is changing um, because I was so nervous in the beginning and, uh, and now I feel more confident or whatever. And that can almost be a problem. So then you have to give them something or you give them you can give them a sense that they're important or, you know, it's whatever you give a person. Um, but built in that exchange for me was always this quality of great separation, um, mm-hmm. no matter what. And I would, I would say that like my ideal portrait session is where I'd never actually have to talk to them. We would just, I would just look at them. <laughs> um, but that's something else that's changing. Like, uh, I think having an authentic exchange is really meaningful. Whether or not that shows itself in the work is another matter. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What's great about photographs is that what they often reveal for the viewer is their own interest projected onto it. And so a viewer then approaches the surface of signs and you know clothing and gesture and all these things, and they project meaning onto it, and you can learn from your own projection. And that's all good, but the person is another human being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I am, I'm now, right now I'm interested in like, can I connect with another human being? So like we're having a, we're doing an interview and rather than just like trying to show you how successful I am, Mm -hmm. (laughs) wouldn't it be more interesting to like connect with you in a real human way? Yeah. That's my state of mind now is like, why not just have a connection? Is it a better interview one way or the other? Or like would more people, young photographers listening, would they get more if we would talk about, like, uh, how did I raise money so I could do this thing? Maybe they would, uh-huh. you know. Uh, 
and I don't belittle like technical information or, you know, steps, how you get things done or whatever, but I'm just more in the place of like wanting to have an authentic connection. Yeah. Yeah. That might be a good segue into something else that I'm really interested in talking about. And it has a lot to do with connection. You're a successful guy. You've done everything that uh, a photographer might want to do. You've done incredible books. You've had museum shows. But you've also spent so much time giving back. It started off with blogging, these popsicles that you did a couple of years ago, which were just, um, if you didn't know about them, they were basically a weekly assignment that you gave yourself to talk about something cultural, sometimes photography related, sometimes not photography related. That basically went on for about a year. I think you did one of those every week for a year. And now this Winnebago workshop, which is your newest initiative, which is basically, it's a school for teens that's free of charge. First off, I'm curious where that impulse comes from. The impulse of the Winnebago workshops very specifically came from the influence of my own teacher, uh, my own high school art teacher. And so who just, you know, utterly changed my life. So I like owe my life to him. And um, what was his name? Bill Hardy. Mm -hmm. And still in touch with him. And um, it was a wanting to do that. What did he do? How did he teach? So he himself was a painter. And and the way the class worked, it was it was really wide open. So we would, it was reading from literature, it was drawing, it was going for walks, it was watching, you know, short films. It, it, so it was a bit of everything. And it was just like wide exposure to the creative process. And I mean, I rem- kind of remember thinking that like, I would probably like be a banker or something <laughs> like literally like that's what I thought. Uh-huh. And it just sort of like, Oh, here's this whole new channel. This all these other possibilities out there. Yeah. So wanting t- to do something like that for someone else seemed really meaningful. Um, not to get too confessional about this or to burst your bubble, but, uh, <laughs> But I think that the Winnebago works, I mean, I think built into it was a bit of self-aggrandizement or, um, you know, also wanting to sort of puff up my own ego to some extent. Mm -hmm. Um, I I mean, I've really had to confront, like, what what am I as a teacher? And, and, And I had to confront the fact that I'm not, Bill Hardy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. There is that component. You could talk about philanthropy and how ego is involved, but I don't think that it diminishes the actual activity. No, no, but you can give anonymously. And and actually being a high school art teacher is giving anonymously, right? You're not not making a show uh, about it. You know, so I could volunteer at a school or something quietly. So it's a little bit different. That's okay. I'm not beating myself up about that. What what I am what it what I am confronting is how I give to someone as as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just at the very beginning of that learning experience. So it's been great because I'm I'm learning all about it. Yeah. I mean a lot of it is about it's just about learning for myself too, just like that's the pro- that's the problematic thing in some ways is that like wanting to educate but like wanting to be my own creative learning process and those mm. things 
uh, aren't a perfect match. Why is that problematic? Just because what you offer to other people isn't necessarily 100% aligned with what your own desire is. Or you're, you know, so there, it sounds like I'm beating up on the Winnebago workshop. I'm not. I'm just, uh, I mean, it was amazing. I just learned how much I don't know to also, yeah, mm. and how far I have to go on this. And, uh, and really, in some ways, that's, that's what's led up to so many different changes in my, in my life is like, uh, yeah, confronting these other young people and what their lives are going to be. And also as a parent, the same, same issue. Because as a parent, it's this kind of endless revelation that like, oh, this is another person. <laughs> like, like, you know, they, they come from us, but they're their own people. Yeah. It's, it's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't you just me? <laughs> yeah. I could see that. Uh, what is the Winnebago? Wor- so so I'm, yeah. I'm curious. The Winnebago Workshop. What is it and what do you guys do? How does it work? <laughs> it's a hard question to answer. Uh, I mean, the Winnebago Workshop, you, so, you know when, when we're talking about you taking pictures and you sort of, you work with the elements you're given. The light is this way. This is that way. Mm-hmm. So the, the element I was given, I mean, I was in this situation where, okay, I have this RV and it's sitting around in storage and like there's something I want to do with that. And I had this interest in sort of live events and I'd done this other thing, summer camp for socially awkward storytellers was the name of it. And where I was experimenting with live events and it's kind of, okay, so there's something I'm interested in. Then I visited this high school and had a really great encounter. So I thought, Oh, you know, like I want to work with teenagers for some reason after visiting all these colleges or something about that age, a younger age I was interested in. So like, I'm going to mash these elements together and do something. Um, and so the summer before last, we did a kind of trial run. What's this going to be? Found some kids very quickly and tried out different things. So one example, we, we throw a dart at the map. We go to that place. Mm -hmm. We, we explore it in, uh, in words and pictures. Um, uh, at the end of the week, we did something very similar where we threw a dart at the map, found a place to park the RV, and to show those words and pictures that we produced. So this kind of uh, learning how to take what comes and, and make some, generate something creative out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, that's part of it. Uh, that's the biggest part of it. But um, one other thing that I learned is like, is kind of what I said about exposing people to other ways of living too. So that we had a, on that trial run of the Winnebago workshop, we invited a couple different visiting artists and this was fantastic. So they would give a lecture on the RV and there was something about that too, about like moving through the world while an artist is talking. It just was very stimulating. And, and so, and I also realized my, my own limits as an educator. So I thought, well, I'll bring in all these different perspectives and just expose people. Uh, and so what, so the Winnebago workshop or what we did is a series of weekend workshops where each weekend we'd invite a different artist to join us on some sort of outing. And the outing would kind of be based on, you know, whatever, it wasn't throwing a dart so much as like someone would mention they read something about 
this location in an article or what have you. Um, and again, sort of like going with the flow um, and exposing people to different ways of living, I guess. Sounds great. Just that first part, making work and then showing it somewhere. Just that process alone, it sounds like such a simple thing. Mm-hmm. But I feel like your students must have gotten so much out of that, of just seeing that the manifestation of their work come to life, like making it and then showing it. Mm-hmm. I just imagine that it must have been an unbelievable experience for your students. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, one of the, this is part of what I've learned with education is that it's not, things aren't quantifiable immediately. You know, you're just like, you're just dropping seeds all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> just bushels of seeds. And you trust that something's going to sprout up at some point. And, and that has happened. Um, so we've, you know, we've seen that happen. And like one really satisfying example is uh, one of the students connected so deeply with one of those visiting artists. Which one? So her name's Jennifer Venditti, and she's a filmmaker, and uh, she's also a casting agent in New York. And one of the things that I would do with all the visiting artists is, first I'd talk, I would talk about where they were when they were teenagers, what they wanted to be, and in the case, like, what, like what their actual lives are. So, because she, yeah, so she, I met her because she does, uh, she casts normal people for things, so... Mm-hmm for movies and for fashion. And, and I did this fashion project where she found the models. Um, and so like that, that can be a job mm-hmm. and that she created her own agency based on the, you know, and like, right. and you know, if I were a 17 year old guy who's like into fashion and like, wow, that's a life you can have. And, and so then she gets him an internship somewhere. Um, and so he's going to New York to do that internship next summer. And, you know, so like his whole path has been opened up based on that encounter. I think that's incredible. I mean, it reminds me of something that I think uh, you said a little while ago, which was this idea of being creative with with your life and your practice. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, in, in addition to the work. And that's that's kind of, I don't know, I don't know if it was advice that, you, that you'd given or, but. Well, I, yeah, so. But that's a, it's a great example of it. And, and I, I really like, I mean, that would be the school <laughs> that I would want to go to is like, is how do you be creative with your entire life? Um, and so that there's this activity of like art making, that's one thing, but like, so I don't cook. I mean, I'm, it's a disaster. My, <laughs> my wife does all the cooking, but, yeah. but how rich would my life be if like every day I like thought about the food that I prepared, you uh-huh. know, in a creative way and enjoyed it in that way. Like that would be very meaningful. Yeah. You know, and just being creative with all, you know, all these different solutions or where you're going to live. Because we're all trying, you know, everyone's always trying to figure out where to live. And just to be, like, creative. I mean, that was something with Sleeping by the Mississippi. So, like, a guy living in a houseboat. Like, wow, you can live in a houseboat. And then you find out that, like, oh, they don't have, like, they don't have real estate taxes on rivers or whatever the thing is. You know, so, like, oh, it's a cheap (laughs) way. Like, that. that's a path. Yeah. and I had this very sort of traditional background. And so all those things were quite eye-opening. And if I, you know, did it all again, I would want to be exposed to more of those things. Yeah. I feel the same way. It's something that I think about a lot and I find it so inspiring. Even doing these interviews, I went to go visit Jason Fulford in Scranton, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ed Pinar and Melissa Catanese in Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we visited them on the Winnebago workshop and it was 
So great. We went on these two different, we broke up into groups and went on walks with, with Ed and Melissa. Um, but the way they've constructed their life, that, like, that, that's a perfect example. Like showing these kids that that's a way you can live. Yeah. That you can put together these different pieces and, and build something like that. And I mean, is Ed like the single happiest photographer you've ever met in your life? Like he seems untroubled by anything. Unbelievable laugh too. <laughs> Unbelievable laugh. Yeah. So great. Uh, I was very, I was just really inspired by his spirit and, um, yeah. And so like, that's a great example, like sharing that with these kids and yeah, Jason Fulford is another fantastic example. Um, there's so many. Yeah. yeah. Most people, when they think of being artists, so they think, you know, I mean, photographers, artists, right. you know, people think of the big cities. And I just find the examples where people figure ways out to live in a more, I don't know, I don't know if you want to call it frugal or in a, right. And they, they, they're able to just craft really unique lifestyles for themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that is the ultimate creative act is like, yeah, how you assemble your life, I guess. And it doesn't have to be weird necessarily it's not like you have to live in a you know underground shelter or something with yeah eight wives um but <laughs> but, but it, you can still like tweak it in all sorts of funny ways and that that idea of like life hacking and like doing different things figuring out different strategies is really fun like and and that's what interests me about entrepreneurship in another way like little brown mushroom has been so fun and creative, just like putting together this business. And so like, that was another conversation I had with my daughter last weekend is that like, I think it's awesome like to go into business, but like, don't go in as a, as a, just an employee, like go in as an entrepreneur, but like create some weird little niche thing that's your own. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because why not? You can. Why not? Yeah. So, with this new revelation <laughs> yeah. that you had a few weeks ago, what's next? What are you up to now? And what, how do you see that kind of shaping things to come? Yeah. Part of what it's meant is not necessarily planning entirely what's next. I mean, I'm always like on some three-year plan for the next book show thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I'm just really, I'm trying not to give in to that. It's it's scary because like, you know, I have kids and house and the whole structure and, um, but I'm just trying to be okay with not doing that thing. And so just like taking it as it comes, I'm, you know, I'm, so I'm working on something here in Minnesota, but I don't, I'm not totally defining it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's just very, everything's really different. Um, mm -hmm. That saying, you know, we're talking about trusting, like when you go out, that something will emerge. And so that's kind of what I'm doing is leaving it open to that mm. and seeing what happens. Um, what I said is true is like, I'm, I do feel like that time with Sleeping by the Mississippi, I feel like it's just sort of, when I go out, I'm like, ah, oh, it's an adventure. I don't know what's going to happen today. Mm -hmm. It's great. It's really that's great. great. Yeah. Well, I definitely look forward to, to seeing the work. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> whatever it's going to be. Yeah, whatever it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been just a real pleasure chatting, for sure. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me here. Yeah. yeah, it's a real pleasure.
That was my conversation with Alex Soth. This episode was produced by me, Jordan Weitzman, and was edited by Crystal Duhame. Music in this episode by Poddington Bear, Michelle Macklem, Damien Lazarus, and The Monks. To find out more about this interview series, visit us at magichourpodcast.org. We have some great shows lined up for the new year that we're really excited about. So follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where we'll keep you up to date. Happy holidays from Montreal, and see you in the new year. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.